92.3 and AM 16.20. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great Saturday as always. Uh, We're definitely going to have a great Saturday here in the studio talking to you about everything that's going on in entertainment and pop culture right now. And joining me on the line to do just that, as he does so often, please welcome from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube, Jeremy Branch. I got to say, man, every time I hear that intro by Matt and Kim, it lifts my spirits just a little bit because I know we're about to get into so much nerd conversations. It's a big week this week, so thank you very much for having me, man. Yeah, there's just been, well, first of all, you're very welcome. I was glad to have you, but uh, yeah, there's there's been a lot going on, and uh, really, we can't even really get to it all in, in one show this week, uh, just because the there's this, you know, there's this thing called time, and there's only so much of it in the world, and not only is there only so much of it in the show, but there's only so much of it in the amount of time to go and consume everything that's out there. So there's been a lot of stuff out this week that there's been uh, either a lot of hype about or a lot of interest about, whatever whatever way you want to look at it. And uh, I just haven't had time to to see all of it. I, I you know I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, this new movie that dropped on Netflix this week, Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a this all-female action film that's led by uh, Karen Gillan, uh, who, of course, you know is Nebula from the Marvel movies, but also uh, Amelia Pond on Doctor Who. And it's just been, you know, she's uh, Ruby Roundhouse in the Jumanji movies. And great, great actress. And uh, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones. And before that, uh, Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles and a number of other things. And then, of course, Angela Bassett, who, if you don't know who she is, then change the station because I'm just not interested in talking to you. Uh, you know, how do you not know who Angela Bassett is? Uh, so th- there's, this movie's out, and uh, you know the trailer's great, but I haven't had time to see it yet. I haven't had time to see the new Space Jam, uh, which is out this week, although I'm not so sure I want to, just to mm. be completely honest with you. I don't know about, are, are you a fan of the Space Jam franchise, Jeremy? No. No, I have um I have HBO Max and I am very much a fan of the um the Looney Tunes properties. I grew up on those guys. I'm sure many of our listeners did as well. So I, I definitely have a soft spot for the characters. I remember even as a young man just kind of missing the 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 boat with with the original Space Jam. And when I hold it up to to films like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh it it this it pales in comparison. However, I'm sure there are a bunch of, of diehard fans that are very much excited to bring their kids for this next generation. But but as you said, Julio, there are only so many Snyder cuts in the day, <laughs> so I don't know that I'm going to be able to willingly spend one of mine on, on Space Jam, but we'll see. If that movie is four hours, I, there, there are people that are going to end their own lives. <laughs> I, I sure hope that's not a four-hour movie. I don't know. I haven't looked. I could be wrong. Probably feels like four hours. But but if it's actually four hours, we've got uh, we've got bigger problems. Uh, you know, here's the, here's the dirty little secret, uh, you know, and, and I'm sorry, 90s kids, plug your ears or whatever or crossfit your pearls. Uh, I, lo- I love the Looney Tunes as well. I grew up with them. Most of us did. The, they're, they're, those characters are absolute classics. But the original Space Jam is not a good movie. It's just not. No. It's not. I know you watched it 150 times on cable growing up. Have you watched it in the past 10 years? I'm going to guess no. But, you know, there were all these, you know, 90s kids that were clamoring for a new Space Jam movie. And uh, 
So now for better or for worse, we have one. Uh, it sounds like for worse if you if you believe the critics. Uh, oh, wh- where's it sitting right now with critical reception? I want to say it was at thirty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So Oof, you know, not terrible, but not great. Yeah, you know, but you know, and I'm not casting any aspersions on LeBron James. I don't know how how he is in the film. I could tell you Michael Jordan was not an actor. I, and I, <laughs> LeBron's got to be better, right? Well, I mean, I, you know, I say that, but I remember, wasn't he in um, the movie Trainwreck? Trainwreck? Yeah, he wasn't bad in that. He was pretty good in that. So, you he know, maybe, maybe, he's a, maybe he's a little better actor than, you know, than Jordan is. And maybe maybe he's a little better actor than I might be giving him credit for. But, you know, and again, I haven't seen the movie. I could be wrong. I could sit down in front of it and it could be amazing. But... I you know if I've got if I'm going to sit in front of the 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 stream this weekend I, I and I'm, my choices are that and Gunpowder Milkshake I'm way more interested in Gunpowder Milkshake yeah. to to say yeah, nothing sure, of, the, of the nine million other things that I haven't watched uh, you know case in point you know the movie that came out last week that everybody's been uh, been buzzing about uh, which I think you've seen I still haven't seen and that's uh, Tomorrow War. I did. I did. I watched it on Amazon Prime. It really is a quite a long movie. I, I believe it clocks in in about two and a half hours, which, to be honest, it's not uh, egregiously longer than other big tentpole movies are. So it's uh, only half a Snyder I cut. like yeah, – <laughs> it's a half a Snyder cut, exactly. Uh, I like Chris Pratt quite a bit. I think many people do. He's, he's kind of um, – you know, went from being the schlubby, funny, Andy-type character archetype from Parks and Recreation to now the more, dare I say, generic action lead. I hate to say it because I like him so much as Star-Lord. I think Mm -hmm. he's a perfect fit for that character. However, I like him a little less in the Jurassic World franchise, and then I feel like Tomorrow War really uh, just minimalized the Chris Pratt part of the personality and what we're left with is just hey it's an action hero guy but mm. the the effects in tomorrow war are fantastic i really like the look of the the alien creatures they're called uh white spikes i believe and uh they're they're interesting different kind of take on the aliens um but honestly julio it feels very derivative of independence day mixed with Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, we're looking at good movies that it gets its influence from, but it didn't feel like it really elevates any of those films. Instead, it kind of feels like it's just retreading some of those tropes. However, I've heard people that really liked it. Like, what's your temperature on it? Is this something you're probably going to sit down and watch? Well, I mean, we're we're almost certainly getting another one. They immediately started talking sequel when the the numbers came out on this. So, people are people are definitely watching it. So, will we get another? It looks like it. Will it be as well received? I don't know. I, I haven't really heard. I've heard some people say they really liked it. When you when you're throwing uh, Independence Day at me, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of that movie. I, I you know you, now Edge of Tomorrow. I loved. That's an, that I think is a fantastic movie, and I would very much like to see more of that. But uh, man, I'm I'm uh, I know that I, that I'm a vocal minority on it, but I am not an Independence Day guy. And then the sequel was was even worse. But I was not a big fan of the original to begin with, to be completely honest. There's some great visuals in it. Uh, you know, Will Smith is charming and all of that. But it, I mean, I'm and I'm talking like I went and saw it, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, midnight for the advanced screenings. Now it's, you know, seven, eight o'clock. It's reasonable. But uh, back in the day, you had to wait until 12.01 a.m. to be able to 
to see something as soon as it opened. And uh, I was there for Independence Day, 12.01 a.m. for that first screening. And I walked out of it, meh. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised to hear you say that because it was it was such a big event at the time. But to that point, I think you're going to like uh, Tomorrow War because it feels more edge of tomorrow than Independence Day. But I guess you weren't so wrapped up in the, the spectacle of the White House getting blown up for the first time in movies. No, I mean, that was that when I mentioned there were some cool visuals in it, that was one of them. You know, there's sure there's a lot of that. But I couldn't I just couldn't get over things like the. Uh, there's a massive explosion in this tunnel and the family jumps into the the little side closet and just at the very last second the dog jumps clear of the explosion and nothing's singed and nothing's hurt and everybody's fine because they're in this closet behind you know what's that door made of titanium yeah. you know what i mean it's like no no and and then just you know i know nobody wants to kill the dog but just let the dog die because that w- that's what was going to happen in the real world. Let's just be I know maybe you know, it's not a real world situation any more than it is, you know, Randy Quaid flying crop dusters at, and uh, killing the aliens with a Mac virus. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that stuff that I couldn't get over. And it's just, eh, okay. Uh, we've got to take a break. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 923 and AM 1620. News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We are having a great time talking about everything that's going on in pop culture and entertainment with Jeremy Branch on the line. I wanted to come in with a little bit of the old Modern Lover song, Roadrunner, there, just to throw a quick mention out to one of the uh, new films out this week uh, that I got to see that I uh, was excited about was the new documentary Roadrunner, uh, a film about Anthony Bourdain, and it's a you know just takes an in depth look at his life, uh, kind of from the time he kind of rose to fame until he uh, sadly passed a couple of years ago. Really great documentary, so make sure you get a chance to to check that out if you get the time. Uh, we've got to move on though, because again, there's just so much going on this week, and I wanted to get to the Emmy nominations came out this week, and uh, there's a whole mess of them. We won't get to talk about all of them, but some of the shows that we talk about pretty heavily on this show did very well. Uh, we had uh, The Mandalorian with 24 nominations this year. And uh, then uh, I think maybe my favorite show of the past year, WandaVision, with uh, with a big 23 nominations, including uh, lead actor, lead actress in a limited series or TV movie, outstanding limited series. Uh, I know there was a supporting actress nomination in there for Katherine Hahn as well. Uh, so really excited to see the the enthusiasm, like from a critical standpoint. Because remember, this is you know this is not necessarily a popularity contest. It kind of is a little bit, but within the Television Academy. But it's it is also a a prestige and a, a critical contest. So to see those things recognized, that's not it's not just that we nerds see that these are good, and that's that's nice. You know, it's it's. It's something that doesn't always happen, and I, it, that's really reflected kind of across the the board. And let's just dig into some of these big nominations first of all. We'll go with Outstanding Drama Series first of all. Uh, and there's four series in here that are very much 
genre series, uh, The Boys, uh, Bridgerton, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Lovecraft Country, The Mandalorian, and Pose are the nominees for Best Drama Series. And, uh, you know, again, The Boys obviously is a superhero-themed series. Uh, The Handmaid's Tale is very much a science fiction tale, and uh, as well as being, you know, a prestige drama, Lovecraft Country. It's right there in the name, H.P. Lovecraft. And then, of course, uh, The Mandalorian. This is the Star Wars universe. So uh, how cool is that, man, to see four genre series uh, competing in uh, outstanding drama series? Yeah, it's really exciting. It, 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 to me, represents more than this year in television. It, it kind of represents a shift in the way that we're approaching looking at genre, and I think that's fantastic. I know that a series like uh, maybe Game of Thrones paved the way for more of this type of uh, yeah. uh, programming to, to find their way into uh, the Emmys, but I love all of those shows that you mentioned, and uh, looking at the list, those are actually the ones I've seen. So I've seen The Boys. I've seen quite a bit of Handmaid's Tale. I'm not finished yet. I've seen all of Lovecraft Country and Mandalorian. And I always hate to say what deserves to win or what should be snubbed, but we all have a little bit of bias. And I've got to say, I would love to see Lovecraft Country win because it's not coming back for a season two. Yeah. You know, it's a valid point to point out that Game of Thrones was, you know, very well recognized within this category. One, I think the past three uh, before this past year, of course, because it was that was after it was over. But it won, I think, for the final three seasons of the show, it won outstanding drama series and had won several other awards and was very much a, a prestige series despite being genre. So maybe it shouldn't be such a surprise that we're seeing genre recognized. And certainly there have been genre shows that have won before Lost has won in the past things like that, but it's still, you know, it's still an uphill battle. It's less an uphill battle at the Emmys than it is at the Oscars, but, uh, but it still feels like like an uphill battle battle for, to me. That being said, I, if I'm going to make a prediction right now, the crown is probably going to win. And, uh, you know, that's fine. You know, I I haven't seen it, so I can't judge it other than, you know, the, the praise that it's gotten, the critical acclaim that it's gotten, uh, apparently well-deserved, but, I man, I'd love to see the Mandalorian or or even the boys take this. It's not going to happen, but man, would that be cool? Uh, moving, it would be cool. Moving on to outstanding comedy series, uh, the nominees are Blackish, Cobra Kai, em- Emily in Paris, Hacks, The Flight Attendant, The Kaminsky Method, Pen Fifteen, and Ted Lasso. And uh, Ted Lasso, I think, is going to be my next binge, maybe. Uh, I, I've Same. Been here- I was going to ask if you saw it. it I, I hear such good things about it. I haven't seen it yet, but I don't know anybody that's seen it that hasn't loved it. And it's Bill Lawrence, who I'm a big fan of going back to Scrubs, which is a, a perennial rewatch show for me. I, you know, I'm, I don't know why I've slept on it other than I don't, you know, haven't just bothered to set up an Apple subscription yet, Same. but mm-hmm. uh, that's really the only real reason that I've slept on it. But, I think that's got a real strong shot shot at winning. You know, it's been the critical acclaim has been deafening and uh, I'm looking forward to watching this show. I was surprised to see Cobra Kai pop up here and I know people love the show. So I wasn't surprised by that. I just, in all the, all the talking I've heard about this show and all the way people talk about the show, I never heard anybody say it was a comedy that's actually a good point. Julio. Yeah, like I mean, I I didn't think of like the original Karate Kid movies as comedies. You know, they 
did they have some humorous elements in them? Sure, but I I thought of those as dramas. And uh, yeah, Cobra I mean, Kai definitely leans into the comedy side of it way more than the original franchise did. Um, to your point, it doesn't feel like a like a straight comedy by any means. I feel like sports is kind of its own subgenre, and I kind of look at it as being in that kind of category. But there's there's plenty of comedy in it. I just like when I look at something like that compared to something like Pin Fifteen. I don't see a whole lot of like crossover on that Venn diagram. Well, but then you got to throw Ted Lasso in there too, because Ted Lasso is, is about sports. It's about, it's about oh, soccer. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's good I point. Mean, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that does. And uh, you know, like I said, though, I think Ted Lasso is, has pretty much got that on lock. I, I, I'm pretty sure uh, we get to outstanding limited series. And this is where uh, our favorite one division comes in. Other nominees in the category are Mayor of Easttown, I May Destroy You, The Underground Railroad, and The Queen's Gambit. Uh, man, I would just so love to see WandaVision recognized here, but I have a feeling that this is going to go like most of these awards have gone over the last year because it came out at a weird time. Uh, Queen, Queen's Gambit kind of came out at the start of the Emmy eligibility period, and all of the other awards have come in between there. So like it's it, this show is at the end of its cycle rather than at the start that the other four are, but it's just won so many awards for limited series that for anything else to win would be a real shock to me. Yeah, it's a good point. It really is the one to beat. And um, I spoke very highly of it. I, I think it's fantastic. Probably my favorite um, to win as far as this list goes. Uh, however, like you said, WandaVision is such a, uh, such a love letter to television in general that it almost feels like it would be a shame for it not to be acknowledged by the Emmys because the Emmys are such a integral part of the legacy of what WandaVision ended up being in a way, right? Yeah, well, and I think that's part of why it got so many nominations because if you look, the the other Marvel Cinematic Universe series that came out within the eligibility period is Falcon and Winter Soldier, and that only received five nominations and it didn't receive any of like the big nominations. The interesting one that it did receive was for for outstanding guest actor in a limited series for Don Cheadle, who was in the show for ninety eight seconds. Yeah, so. I heard about that. So is that that's not supporting actor though? That's like no, guest it's, yeah, spot. Yeah, they have a different award. Supporting actor is somebody that's like a regular in the series, but they're in a, a smaller role. Guest actor is somebody who's coming in for an episode or two and doing a guest appearance. So, so he wasn't competing against Lumley, though. Like that's two no, totally no, separate categories. No, he was not competing against Lumley, who was not uh, who was not nominated. Uh, okay. I've heard some people say they thought that uh, that people voted for Don Cheadle for a nomination, thinking that he was Carl Lumley. And oh, I, <laughs> I, I really don't think that's the case. I think it's just that Don Cheadle is that well respected that people may not have watched the show, but they saw that he was in it, so they nominated him. That kind of thing. Ah. Uh, you know, the other interesting thing that there has been the other controversy that's come out of uh, of this is a large amount of nominations for Hamilton, which to me is no surprise. I think it was a, a fantastically done film, but there is some consideration that this is a film basically that just recorded a performance of a show that already won a bunch of Tony Awards and that these actors and, and such have already been awarded or recognized for the, for those performances and they shouldn't be recognized again. Now, I don't agree with that. I mean, there is, there is a different animal to shooting video, even of a stage play, even if you're doing it on the same stage, 
you know, they, they shot this three times. They had cameras in their faces. They did some of it in front of an audience and some of it not in front of an audience. It's, it's not the same animal. It's, it's not the same as, as a run of a play on Broadway and above and beyond that. It's the first time a lot of people got to see this. They've been hearing about it for years, but not everybody got to go to Broadway or got to see a touring production of this. And for a lot of people, the first way they consumed Hamilton was on Disney plus. Now, yes, they also licensed this with the intention of putting it on the big screen. So there's that whole complicating factor of it too. This was intended to be a theatrical film and not a television film, but mm. that's not how it ended up getting released. And it was not eligible for the Oscars. So for me, I'm all for, you know, recognizing the Hamilton folks here. And, you know, I think well-deserved with the nominations, uh, including uh, lead actor in a limited t uh, series or TV movie for Lin-Manuel Miranda and Leslie Odom Jr., a number of the supporting players nominated in the supporting categories as well, and then uh, nomination for Outstanding TV Movie. Uh, I would love to see it win TV Movie uh, with the lead actor. You know, you got Paul Bettany in there, too. I'd like to see him recognized. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. What do you think about Hamilton being included? I remember you, me, and Steve Wise had a really good conversation about it a few weeks back, maybe a few months back right here on the show. And I tend to fall on the side of Steve, and that's for you, for the audience that's listening right now. Basically, I do feel that the two are substantially different uh, mediums, and that's okay. I, I don't mean to be diminutive to what Hamilton is. Um, it's incredibly impressive. And like you said, in, in addition to it being the first time that many people saw Hamilton uh, or any sort of like it was the first time anybody or a lot of people saw anything off of Broadway. So I thought that that was a really cool thing about it. I also remember you gave really good counterpoints to it. And what you just now said is is completely accurate. Like what we saw wasn't exactly just a taping of a of a performance either. So it is this interesting kind of in-between thing like where do you honor it however you know there are the Tonys and, and other things like that so like for me I think it's weird for it to be on here however when I hear you know you, you laid out a compelling enough case for me to be like all right I, I can step back and accept this as being you know worthy of being in the Emmys all right well we'll see how it works out but we've got to take a break you're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got Jeremy Branch on the line with us from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. And it is time to delve into the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, with our last look for now 
at Loki, the final episode of the season, as we now know. If you haven't heard, there will be a season two of Loki. Uh, I I guess that's kind of spoilery, but it's not really because it's you know it's been in the news. Yeah, you know, I'm not telling you anything about what happened in the show yet to say that, although that was announced in a in a post credit scene. Uh, it's the post credit scene really was just that it was there's there was nothing to it that was spoilery or anything like that. Uh, so we know we're going to get more of Loki, but before we we get into that and what it means and what all all of this means uh, for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I just wanted to get into this episode and and kind of dig in. So let's go ahead and put up the spoiler warning. We will at least for the remainder of this segment and possibly into the next segment. Uh, be talking in depth about Loki, and we may get into some spoilers. But here we are, uh, Jeremy. We've gotten uh, we've gotten through the journey into mystery. We the 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 veil has parted, and Loki and Sylvie have stepped into the point uh, the point beyond at the end of the, the timeline, and have found this uh, this fortress there, this citadel. And I really love the uh, the opening of the episode where they're both standing outside and they're kind of hemming and hawing about going in. I thought that was just, uh, I thought that was, you don't see that. Usually you see people just ready to charge in, you know, and they're like, wait a minute, there's, you know, should we, you know, should we bust the door down? Well, you know, you do it. No, you do it. That, that whole kind of thing. And I just thought it was so in character for both of those characters. There's been all this anticipation that has led up to this, especially for Sylvie, who this has been her entire life, uh, and to to be at that precipice, I think it's natural to hesitate. What did you think about that? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And um, it, like you said, it really does uh, speak to their their trajectory, where they were at, at care, as characters at that time. You can tell that Loki is becoming more and more attached to Sylvie, and like like you said, for Sylvie. Her whole life has been almost uh, directing her to this one moment, and I really love the way that that this all plays out. But from there, they end up going into the Citadel, and we get what maybe, Leo, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, what maybe the first horror-like jump scare in the MCU. And, yeah, and and it's Miss Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the jump scare is Miss Minutes. I think that was a scare. It just pops out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, the doors open you know, while they're hemming and hawing about busting the doors open. They just open, and they they walk in, and then suddenly they're confronted with Miss Minutes, and it's kind of this last uh, this last offer of you can have everything you want. All you have to do is not go any further, basically, and uh, they're they're not buying it, which I think was smart because I think that was. Uh, that was clearly a, a ruse and Loki was right to, to say, this is a fiction. You know, I, I don't know that they were really going to get what they wanted out of that. But, uh, but that leads us to seeing the man behind the curtain after all of this. And it, uh, what, what did they call him within the show? He, he who remains. He who remains. That's right. Uh, and he is played by, uh, Jonathan, uh, what's his last name? I'm sorry. Majors Jonathan from Majors. Uh, Lovecraft Country. Yeah, Jonathan Majors, who we know has already been cast as King the Conqueror in the forthcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So for those who are a little clued in to the whole Marvel world, 
there are many, 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 and they talk about this a little bit in the episode, there are many, many iterations of Kang. So this is an iteration of Kang. They never use his name. They never come out and say it. They make an allusion to a conqueror. But uh, but yeah, he who remains is some iteration of Kang, whether he is under that name or whether he's under... Some people are saying, well, this is actually Immortus. Because in the comics, mm. Immortus and He Who Remains are two different characters. And He Who Remains isn't directly related to the many iterations of Kang. But I believe, given the actor and everything, and given the way all of this is set up, that, yeah, this is some iteration of Kang. And Immortus would make sense. But that's, that's you know, splitting hairs. The fact is, we've, we've had our, in, our introduction, basically, to at least the personage of the the next Thanos, the next the next big bad in the in the MCU, and we'll get to to talking about that later. But uh, man, how much fun was he? Just the oh, I thought it was great. Just I thought it was great. I I could understand if people are put off by their performance because you just now said that that key phrase, which is he's he's potentially the, the phase four Thanos. This is very likely going to be the overarching villain for the next several uh, movies in the MCU. So to present somebody that is fairly unassuming, a little bit quirky, kind of got a, a sense of humor as well as somebody who's been a recluse for so long that they've lost, <laughs> they're almost losing their marbles in, in, in some ways. And I, I love it because Jonathan Majors in Lovecraft Country, which was my first exposure to him he's he's very very good in the series but he is playing a character that's much more stoic much more uh just the the straight man the very uh archetypal uh protagonist type character and this couldn't be further away from that he kind of had a little bit of a Willy Wonka vibe to him and then I had somebody say he's like a mix between Willy Wonka and um crap what was the name of the the uh mortician guy from from uh tales from the hood <laughs> anyways like whoever that guy was and i was like that's that's perfect but yeah i loved it i loved it yeah i i thought he was great i'm very interested to see what he's going to bring to the marvel universe because i this is a character and i don't want to get too much into this because when the next segment we'll kind of get into the the more of the future ramifications of the end of the show but uh this is a character that i think we'll see several different ideations of and he will be played differently than this in future appearances. And I think this is an actor that's got the talent to do that. And uh, I, I'm really, you know, I thought this performance was really great, but I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, man, I really love the whole philosophical debate that's at the core of this episode. And that you know, it's, it's, you know, free will versus uh, fascism, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, it's the the safety of a leader who doesn't allow anybody else free will, but takes care of everybody versus, you know, the freedom to, to be who you are and what you want to be. And it's, it's a, it's a debate that, you know, has gone through the ages and is definitely very valid to what we've gone through here in this country in the, the past couple of years and, and continue to go through where, um, you know, I don't want to get too much into the politics of it all, but if you just think about it for five minutes, you can, you can see where that's coming in. So uh, there's just so much that's well done 
in this episode about that and that this is the the split that we end up having between Loki and Sylvie and even the way that they're framed throughout the entire sequence where one of them's in light and one of them's in darkness and they're mirror images of each other and they're and you know they end up facing off against each other and we have this you know this heartbreaking ending where these two characters that have uh, we've been seeing them fall in love now fall apart uh, you know we we see them take up different sides of this issue and you know I'm, I'm not sure which one of them was right I think that uh, there's some manipulation going on here above and beyond their level from uh, from he who remains and I think that uh, my opinion Sylvie succumbed to that manipulation and uh, mm. did exactly what he wanted her to do Ver, you know, well, you're right. To that point, uh, yeah. he goes. Uh, he says to the two of them, basically, "I led you here. Everything that's transpired up to this was mm-hmm. by design. You guys did exactly what I wanted you to." But I love, to your point, this this philosophical debate. It's kind of like the devil, you know, right? Like, yeah, it sucks right now, but who knows what would happen if we overthrew this dictator? Who who fills that vacuum? And so it's like, do you? go with the status quo because it feels safe or do you open up millions of possibilities with free will and, and not know uh, what the future holds. So I love the fact that they did that. And I heard somebody mention that this is like a, a kind of a spin on Adam and Eve. So to kind of play uh, this, this character, he who remains is almost uh, the serpent that's tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. And I mean, he's eating an apple at one point. So there's a lot of, symbolism going on and i thought this episode was great um there's the whole thing that's going on with uh with mobius and ravana uh simultaneously to that i don't know if we have time to touch on that but if you wanted to to kind of you know put a button on it maybe we get into that in the next segment because we are running a little low but you know just the great the the whole star-crossed lovers of it all too where they finally have you know loki tells her all he wants is for her to be okay and they finally have the big smooch that we've been leading up to the whole series and then she says, but I'm not you. And she opens up a time portal and kicks him through it and then Jeez. does uh, just just devastating. But, yeah, we we'll we'll uh, we'll go a little further into the whole Ravana and Mobius and the 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 bigger impacts of all of this in the next segment. We do have to take a break. You listen. Let's go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got Jeremy Branch on the line with us from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. And we have been talking about the season finale of Loki. And we're going to get into just a little bit more of what happened in the episode, but really want to talk more about the overarching 
ramifications for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe that come out of this episode. Uh, you, Jeremy, you mentioned you wanted to talk a bit, though, about what happened with Mobius and Ravana Renslayer in this episode. Well, and it actually leads us really well into the next part. So just to kind of put a little button on it, um, Mobius returns to the TVA. He confronts Ravana, tells him about the the revelation that he made, uh, basically that all of the TVA are, are variants. And while this is happening, she clicks her little pager basically to, to call in the rest of the TVA agents. Well, meanwhile, uh, B-15 has taken other TVA agents to a place in the timeline where Rafana is actually a teacher. She's just a regular person, and this reveals to the entire TVA agency that what they took for granted is actually all an elaborate illusion. And so when she presses that button, uh, Mobius says, basically, this isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go. So this reveals, basically, at this point that Everybody knows the the gig is up, and once Sylvie, as you just now mentioned in the last segment, she teleports Loki away. She sends him back to the TVA, so it's our assumption that they've just now met back in this timeline where Ravana has been revealed and that everybody knows what happened. However, that's not the case at all. This is a completely different timeline where they don't recognize Loki, and we see this big, giant statue up here uh, or you know in the building itself and this is very reminiscent of planet of the apes or something because we realize that uh he who remains is definitely a tyrannical leader this is probably the king the conqueror that everybody was expecting him to be in statue form so we realize oh wow loki thought he was in this one place he's actually in the next and this opens up the multiverse. Uh, everything is is wide open after Sylvie kills uh, He Who Remains. And now the whole future of the MCU is up in the air. And that, that's kind of where we're at, Julio. See, I have a little bit of a different interpretation of that than you do, I think. Hit uh, me. Well, I, you know, I think Ravana steps out of the timeline before the timeline changes. I think that the Ravana that we saw throughout this series, we're going to continue to see. And she's going to continue to be a force. Uh, what what she ends up being a force for that that's still a mystery, but that version of Ravana I think still exists. I think when Loki gets kicked back, I I think he gets kicked back to where he was, and that immediately after that, when Sylvie kills he who remains, that's when the timeline re- branches off. As we see, they they starts branching off into sixty three. I think they said different timelines at, at the start of it. But that included okay, so. that included rewriting the timeline that Lo- that Loki was sent back to. So, so, you so what you're like saying, the, what the you're rewriting see- happens. While- Go ahead. Yeah, I think the rewriting happens while Loki's the only one that Loki and I guess probably Ravana are the only ones that really remember the timeline as it was before, and the timeline has been rewritten, and that's where he was. But it's just a rewritten version of that timeline where there were never any timekeepers, and Kang himself was in charge of the TVA. And that's okay. that's the statue I, I that we that. see there, and that's why Mobius and B fifteen don't recognize him, and uh, you know he's uh, he's the only one that remembers the, within that within the TVA. He's the only one that remembers what came before. That's actually a, I mean that checks out as well. Um, it makes me realize even trying to talk about it in in retrospect, it's time travel is a very difficult concept to wrap our heads my head around in particular like i have such a hard time um 
kind of reconciling what that means, what that looks like. I mean, in one timeline, Loki is an alligator. I don't know how you can explain that to me in a way that makes sense. It's it's fine. It just feels like there's more variables at play than simply time in that context. But yes, it really does um, show that there could be so many different realities that we're working with moving forward. Obviously, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is coming up. Ant-Man 3 and, and the Quantum Mania and uh, what other uh, Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home. So there's all these multiversal uh, stories being told all at one time. I got to ask you, like, are, are all of these going, do you think, taking place in the same timeline um primarily are we going to be talking about ant-man from one timeline versus a doctor strange and another like now we're in the realm of speculation what do you think well first of all i believe what you meant to say was that in the best timeline loki is an alligator correct yes absolutely what i say obviously obviously alligator loki is the best loki (laughs) that's that's just a given but uh, but uh yeah no that's 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 where we're getting at and here's the thing that i wonder the the next thing that we're going to see uh, even before we see Shang-Chi, is what if. Yes. So the, there's been some speculation, and I agree with it. What if the series What If is more important than we think it is? What if instead mm. of it just being like the old concept of what if something had happened differently, these are multiversal worlds, worlds that we're seeing in this in this series? And and what if those worlds are going to have some effect on the the future of the MCU? Now, as far as once we get into the actual movies of it all, I think we're going to be following the characters that we know to an extent. So I think we're going to it's still going to be our Peter Parker and our uh, Stephen Strange and our Wanda Maximoff, et cetera. But yeah, clearly the the multiverse is here. You know, it's. It's it's set up. It's ready to go. I don't think I have a feeling it's not going to affect Shang-Chi or the Eternals all that much. But obviously, Spider-Man No Way Home is where we're first going to see it. And this really lends a lot of credence to all the rumors about all of the characters from all of the other versions of Spider-Man that are going to be showing up. Uh, you know, Of course, we know for sure that uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock and Jamie Foxx as Electro are in the film. But there's been a lot of speculation about a lot of other people, including the two previous Spider-Man actors and uh, Charlie Cox's Daredevil from the Netflix series, et, et cetera. And, you know, this certainly lends a lot more credence to, to that happening. And then, of course, the, the Doctor Strange movie is called Multiverse of Madness. We know we're going to see multiverse in that. And, you know, I think also interestingly directed by Sam Raimi, who directed the original Spider-Man uh, trilogy. So, you know... It's clearly there's going to be an effect here. What all the effects are going to be, I don't know. I do think we're going to see multiple versions of multiple characters. I think we're going to see maybe characters that we thought we weren't going to see again in different versions. This may explain why the Abomination looks a little bit different in the Shang-Chi trailer. Uh, It may explain, you know, it may be where we see the Fantastic Four come in. It may be where we see mutants come in. There's the, the possibility why we see Korg and Deadpool in the same place at the same time. Multiverse confirmed, which was awesome. Yes. The, the, the uh, even though it's really just a, a shill, a shill for free guy, uh, <laughs> which both of those actors are in. And it was really fun to see that, uh, you know, the possibilities are endless. And I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this affects 
not just those things that we've already talked about, but how do the this, how does this come into play with the future series that we're going to see? What are we leading up to? That's that I think is the bigger question, and a lot of people think, and I'm inclined to agree that we are leading up to Secret Wars. And when I say that, I don't mean the original Secret Wars series from the '80s with the Battle World and the Beyonder and all that. I mean the more recent version, which was you know multi multiversal versions of characters fighting against each other for survival. So you know, if you want to know how you top Endgame, you want to know how you top uh, the, the the huge battle at the end of that movie. You have that huge battle, but with fifteen Spider Men fighting each other and fifteen Doctor Stranges, and you know. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how you top it. That's pretty exciting. I just mean, that, the thought of that. That could be where we're going. And above and beyond that, uh, the interesting thing is the Russo brothers are on record as saying that the only thing that would bring them back to do another Marvel movie is if they got to do Secret Wars. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the directors of the most successful film of all time, Coming back to play in that in that universe, maybe you give them what they want, and you're leading up to Secret Wars. We'll see, but I mean, there's so much stuff coming out between now and then. This is just the start of. We're still really just at the start of Phase Four here, so it's it's so hard to predict. In some ways, it seems very obvious where they're leading. You know, yes, we're leading to Kang. We know that. Yes, we know what movies are coming out in the next few years. We know what series have been announced for the next couple of years. So we know, you know, very broadly, yes, we're going to see uh, Marvels with uh, with Captain Marvel and Monica Rambeau and Kamala Khan. We're going to see a Kamala Khan series. We're going to see a She-Hulk series. We're going to see a Moon Knight series. We're going to see a Fantastic Four movie. You know, within between now and 2023, 2024, we're going to see all of those things. How do all those things tie together and what are they leading up to? We've also seen this introduction of various young Avengers characters. And it seems obvious that they're leading up to a young Avengers. We've seen this introduction of all these characters that could be dark Avengers or Thunderbolts. So, you know, are we leading up to those and how do those play into the overarching of it all? You know, there's a lot of puzzle pieces here and uh, the puzzle is scattered all over the place right now. And, uh, and we, and we don't have the, the box to work from, but Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's the fun of it. And that's uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to for the next couple of years out of Marvel. And, and uh, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, they do it as well as they did the first three phases. And and we have uh, something amazing. Uh, Jeremy, we are running out of time. Thank you, as always, for being here. Uh, we've got to go, but we'll be back next week with more. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.